Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. At the birth of Jesus Christ, Jerusalem, in fact all the world, was under the rule of the Roman Empire, which really meant that it was under the rule of one man, Caesar Augustus. I want you to listen to this. It's a very shortened summary of Augustus' rule and power. His subjects probably formed more than one-third of the entire population of the globe and amounted to about 100 million souls. His empire embraced within its immense circumference the best cultivated and most civilized portions of the earth. The remains of its populous cities, its great fortresses, its extensive aqueducts, and its stately temples may still be pointed out as the memorials of its grandeur. The capital was connected to the most distant provinces by carefully constructed roads along which the legions could march with ease and promptitude, either to quell an internal insurrection or to encounter an invading enemy. And the military resources at the command of Augustus were abundantly sufficient to maintain obedience among the myriads whom he governed. So a third of the world danced at the whim of one solitary man. And it was, in fact, the best third of the world. I mean, Rome even had indoor plumbing. So if you were seeking to get a hold of the world, whether to rule it or to change it, who would you go to try to get on your side? It would be Caesar Augustus. You know, Rome may have had plenty of puppet or figurehead Caesars, 
but Augustus was not one of them. He was the actual power behind the full might of Rome. And what he said held sway from the Atlantic Ocean to the borders of India. So in the fullness of time, when God is ready to bring about the rule of his kingdom on the earth, who does he see as the person for the job? Who is the key player for his divine takeover scheme? Now, does he send a prophet to Caesar Augustus to proclaim the kingdom of God has come? Or an angel to dazzle him into worship? No. God chooses for himself two obscure Hebrew women, Mary and Elizabeth. And how does God intend to bring about his kingdom through these two women? Are they going to be great military leaders like Deborah? No. They are going to be mothers. That is God's plan. And in the last two weeks, we've looked at how God called both of these two women into his service. And this week, we'll see how after hearing from the angel that her relative Elizabeth, who was barren, was now six months with child, Mary went to visit. Now, the first part of our text will forever remain a mystery to all men, but expectant and experienced mothers know at least in part what's going on. And even as BCC has grown in children, I know I have been present for a number of these conversations. Well, the baby likes to start kicking at 2 a.m. Or, he's sitting right on my... Well, I'll leave the rest to mystery. Uh, But you know what I'm talking about. And the text does tell us that the baby, the infant John the Baptist, leapt in his mother's womb. But it was Elizabeth who heard the greeting. And it was Elizabeth who was filled with the Holy Spirit to pronounce the blessing upon Mary. And it was Mary who said her part which is now famously known as the Magnificat, which is just the first word in the Latin translation. It also makes a really great shorthand, so I'm going to be calling it the Magnificat all the way through this sermon, just so everybody's aware. But Mary pulls together this song, this prayer of praise to the Lord from no less than six different Old Testament books. And she speaks from no less than 20 different passages. You heard Katie read this morning from 1 Samuel chapter 2, which is obviously uh, a a big part in what Mary was was saying. But we've also got Psalm, here, just just bear with me, listen to this. 1 Samuel chapter 2, Psalm 34, 35. 46, 71, 72, 98, 103, 107. I'm gonna, I can keep going on. Habakkuk, Genesis, Exodus, even the book of Job. And they're not just direct quotes, but they're not just paraphrases either. She's 
Mary has actually internalized all of these passages. She's meditated on them. And she's ingrained them into her life. Her speech is saturated by the words of God. And notice that while Luke does tell us that Elizabeth spoke what she did after being filled with the Holy Spirit, Luke does not say that Mary was. Now, we know that Gabriel had just said to Mary that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you to explain how she would conceive even though she was a virgin. So I'm not saying that Mary was not filled with the Holy Spirit. But what I am saying, and what we should notice, is that Luke doesn't explain the Magnificat as a result of being Spirit-filled like he does for Elizabeth. Elizabeth speaks out of spirit-filled prophecy. But Mary is speaking just from her own heart. And through this Magnificat, we get a window into this woman who will be the mother of God. Now, in Protestantism, we can sometimes try to downplay Mary's importance because we're, we're reacting against Mary worship found in Roman Catholicism. You know, Mary herself actually is one of the best advocates against going to Mary as a mediator, as a savior. You know, she has no thought that she herself plays some role, some active role in the forgiveness of our sins. You know, even her first lines, she says, My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. You know, she acknowledges her own need for a Savior. But we should also understand that this little Hebrew girl, because she was in her teens, almost certainly, This little Hebrew girl had, in her young life, received and internalized the Holy Scriptures. And I want want you to see how important the Scripture was to Mary. So as I said, she's, she's taking especially Hannah's prayer from Samuel 2, 1 Samuel 2, as kind of the backbone, the structure of, of her own prayer. But consider that Mary was not, she did not memorize Hannah's prayer because it was something she thought would fit neatly into her life. You know, Hannah was barren. She prayed this prayer after the Lord had opened up her womb. But Mary was a young girl. She was not barren. She, she would have memorized this prayer of Hannah long before she would even have to consider that possibility. What I'm saying is this. So you know how there are lists of verses, you can go and find them at the front of certain Bibles or online or in a devotional, whatever. Lists of verses to go to for various circumstances. You know, something like this, if you're feeling angry, read this. If you're feeling anxious, read this. Well, that's not how Mary used the scripture. 
She was not primarily being pragmatic in what she memorized. She was not thinking, oh, this will be useful later, I should memorize it. She did not think, how is this passage going to help me? Because it's evident by all the passages that she weaves together into her prayer that Mary received all the Scripture as God-breathed and useful for his people. So what can we glean from this passage beyond an appreciation for Mary? Well, we can see here three examples for our lives. That is, three things here that we should learn to imitate. Mary is, for us, and this passage is, for us, an example of fellowship, an example of reverence to God's Word, and and also an example of parenting. The first, the example of fellowship. What was Mary's first impulse after the angel Gabriel spoke with her? It says, she went with haste to visit Elizabeth. I mean, marvelous things were happening. God was at work, and Mary wanted to confer with the other woman who had experienced such a blessing from God. She wanted to be in her company and to hear from Elizabeth what God was doing in Elizabeth's life and to share with Elizabeth what God was doing in her own life. Now Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah, who was priest, probably also figured into Mary's decision to visit but uh, he does not get a speaking role since his mouth was closed by the angel Gabriel. So, Mary was exemplifying the character of her ancestor David, whom she also quotes in her Magnificat. Caleb read this as, as a call to worship. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the oppressed hear and rejoice. Magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Mary had a desire to praise the Lord, not just by herself, but in the company of others who have also seen him work. So we should see the blessing of fellowship here. Because it wasn't right after Gabriel spoke, that Mary gave this song of praise. It wasn't until she saw Elizabeth and heard the blessing that Mary herself was raised up into this hymn of praise. Second, Mary is an example for us of reverence to God's word. Now, we've already noted how many passages she, she has at her fingertips. You know, she did not sit down and compose this prayer after months and months of research into the related scriptures. She didn't even have a concordance, let alone Google, to look up what passages talk about this or what passages talk about that. 
And it's not just the number of passages that she used that we should recognize. We should also note that she understood the whole sweep of Scripture. She saw the scope of God's plan revealed there. You know, when she says, He has scattered the proud in their thoughts, He has brought down the mighty from their thrones, she has in mind at least the Tower of Babel and the defeat of Pharaoh and his armies in the Red Sea and the folly of Haman in the book of Esther. And when she says that God exalted those of humble estate, in her mind she must be thinking of Esther and Mordecai, of Joseph who was slave in Egypt but became its ruler, of King David who is the least of his seven brothers, of Job who suffered greatly but who God restored, And time would fail to speak of Hannah or Gideon or Abraham or the prophets or all the rest of God's saints. But Mary had all of this in her mind. Third, we should see in Mary an example to imitate for parenting. So when Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan, how did he withstand the devil? Look with me at Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I always find that. Just, really? And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. It is written, it is written, it is written, was Jesus' reply to the devil. All three temptations were swiftly answered from the book of Deuteronomy. Now, who do you think taught him to love the Scripture like that? Don't misunderstand me. Jesus Christ is the eternal Word of God. But that does not mean that his incarnation was any less real or that he was any less human than we are. He is truly God and truly man. 
And as truly man, he did not burst out of the womb fully formed. And I have trouble with the Christmas song, Away in a Manger, for the line, Little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. As if he wouldn't have cried as a baby. But the man who truly cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me on the cross? Also cried out as a baby for his mother's milk or when his diaper needed changing. That is the mystery of Christmas. That your very God humbled himself to the point of needing his diapers changed. No, Jesus, as a true human, grew up and learned things. Luke tells us as much in chapter 2, verse 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Now, what little we do have recorded of Jesus' childhood does show us that he is beyond average. But it's not because he had some sort of supernatural humanity. He had the only natural humanity that the world had seen since before Adam and Eve had sinned in the garden. He was more truly human according to the original design than any of us have ever yet been. But he still needed to grow from a baby to a toddler to a child to a man. And God, who does all things well, according to the counsel of his will, chose this young Hebrew woman, Mary, who we barely consider an adult, to be the one to raise Jesus. So we should imitate Mary's example. Like her, we should seek fellowship. She had a desire to praise the Lord, not just by herself, but when she saw that God had done great things for her, she had a desire to go and be with others who have seen the Lord work and praise the Lord with them. And the Lord has given us this goodness as well. The goodness of Christian fellowship. In our Sunday mornings. In our community groups. In all the times where you are with your brothers or sisters. Whether it's going to get coffee or sharing lunch. We should also learn from Mary to reverence God's word. Because she understood the scriptures not just as a toolkit, not just as something that was useful, not just as something that might come in handy later. But she understood the whole sweep of scripture, the whole scope of God's redemptive plan revealed there. Because truly, to Mary, she understood that that's where true reality lies. 
what God has planned is more real, more true, more certain than anything. Whether you want to go read the history books or just the newspaper, God's plan, there's more reality. It's more solid, more useful, more good than anything else. And God has given us his word. We have there everything we need. And sometimes that statement, we have everything we need, can mean we have everything we need, but not everything we could want. No, we have everything we could ever want in God's word. He did not leave us clueless or lost. He told us the whole plan of the history of the universe and how to have life, eternal life, life now and forever. And finally, Mary's example we should imitate is raising children, raising your children upon God's word. Not just teaching them to memorize it, not even just teaching them to internalize it, but doing so yourself. God has given us uncountable numbers of resources for this task. I mean, there are musical recordings of Scripture to help you meditate and memorize. There's audio Bibles, language tools, commentaries, and especially the fellowship of believers around you. And as Ephesians 4 says, pastor shepherds whom Christ gave as gifts to his church when he ascended on high. In just a moment, I'm going to pray, and then they'll come back up here and we will sing our, our closing hymn. Uh, and in doing that, don't, don't do it just rotely. Don't do it just, just because it's there. We have a great opportunity to practice the joy of fellowship right now in boldly declaring to each other through joyful singing what God has done. Colossians 3.16 is very, very well uh, quoted in, in this instance for, for singing, for what we should do. But it's a one another command. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Is we are singing our praises to God, yes, but not as a group of individuals that just happen to be in the same room for sake of convenience. We are doing this for the sake of one another. So when you sing this response song, take note that you are singing it 
For the sake of the person three rows behind you or ten rows ahead or right beside you. And they are singing it for your sake. Now, let's pray. Keeping that in mind. Preparing our hearts to worship. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can pray to a real person, more real than we are. We're not praying to an idea. Because you have so humbled yourself in giving yourself in giving your Son to us. Oh, and Jesus Christ, in taking on that humility and becoming flesh for us, for the forgiveness of all our sins, that we might be reconciled to God. Oh, and when you were raised, you gave us of your Holy Spirit. And oh, God, Holy Spirit, that you are so humbled as to dwell within jars of clay. And we might actually have real fellowship with the triune God. We thank you for your Great gift, triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that you have given us of yourself freely, fully. And Lord, now allow us to bless your name together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.